Oh no. It's the American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Emmett McConnell, joined once again by our USA slash Mexico slash MLS insider, Eric Alcantar. I'm, Eric, how's it going? I'm really glad I got a title. Um, I, I've been waiting. Yeah, it's, a, it's a nice title, right? I've been waiting for something nice like that. You know, you know, not a lot of nice things happen to people these days, so you got to go with the good when you get it. And, I mean, the American Soccer Show, we're all about nice. And here are some nice headlines for you, uh, American Soccer Show heads out there. Uh, guess who's back? Well, I'm not going to say what it's saying, but Brucey. Uh, we have some Eminem lyrics on here. I'm going to skip past that. But Bruce Arena with the New England Revolution making quite a comeback, isn't he? I, Undefeated in his <laughs> last, was it five games? Yeah, ago? so my prediction of New England having a bounce back season. <laughs> Hilariously enough, still on, but not for the reason that I said it would be. Here it comes. Uh, so, New England, interesting roster. Brucey makes it work. On to France, the U.S. women are now through to the World Cup semifinals after beating hosts and co-favorites, I guess it's fair to say, France. Back across the pond, USA men through the, their semifinal, the Gold Cup, after beating lowly Curacao. One of these things is... Bigger than the other, or not like the other. Uh, much bigger result for the women, I think, fair to say. And everyone's pick to win AFCON. Of course, it is that titan of soccer. Madagascar has won its group after beating Nigeria this week. This is... I, we've come a long way. Remember when Metnir signed for uh, Minnesota? And we were... Uh, well, I was, I, th- I was like really enthralled with the fact that Madagascar had a national team. And now here we are. Madagascar, I mean, which, sixteen. Who who doesn't have a national team? I think this uh, list of countries that don't have a national team, frankly, might not be bigger than like one hand of counting. Yeah, I mean, there's soccer is a global sport. There there he, are there are non countries that have that have soccer national teams. This is true. Puerto Rico, Port Rick, as I like to call it. Rick. Uh, as they have their own <laughs> national team, of course, being a uh, a territory or a uh, uh, part of the United States. You know, their citizens are ours. Uh, but Nat- Madagascar, I do want to touch on, uh, if you get a chance to look at their team, got to be some of the longest names uh, in world football. And that even goes with Greece, who has Socrates Papastapadopoulos. Uh, I mean, uh, their goal scorer uh, oh. the, in, against oh, Nigeria. These names. Lelena Nomenjanahari. I mean, it, it doesn't seem as long, but there's these are double digits in the letters. I'm really glad so. you took over the pronunciation of names, by the way, because, you know, it used to be my job, and I hated having to go through some of these things. Andrian, Andriana Rimana Nana is a midfielder who plays for the, uh, of course, famous Kaiser Chiefs in South Africa. So, Madagascar, as we all expected, uh, the great Roman Metinair, who plays there, as Eric mentioned earlier, uh, through after beating Nigeria, one of the favorites in that tournament. Uh, but now we're going to get on to something a little bit closer to both of our hearts, I think, and that is the Gold Cup semifinal preview. Uh, we got to have, I think we got to touch on two things first. Yeah. At least two things, maybe even four things, given that there were four games in the quarterfinals that happened before. Of course, seems, first seems up, I logical. Go, go on. I'll, I'll allow it. We're gonna have to go with the first game chronologically, being Canada versus Haiti. You know what? 
I picked Canada as like the team that I was like, hey, this is a good squad. They're going to really surprise some teams. I think they surprised us with how bad oh, they, surprised they came us. out against Haiti. That uh, that was wow. I, so you know, we when you convinced me last time we talked about how Canada kind of did themselves no favors by kind of just coming into the game against Mexico with no expectations and just trying to play back and not playing to their strengths. I think that's exactly what happened in the second half here. They dominated the first half and then just rested on their laurels and, and expected, I guess, Haiti to just roll over. And not only did that not happen, but the great Canadian collapse of 2019 will forever live as perhaps the moment that Canadian soccer was set back another few years. So, I'm with you in one regard. I don't think they were sent back, though. I I think for Canada, this is a big moment to grow. And I think that this would, honestly, will move them forward more than beating Haiti and losing to Mexico. (sighs) See... Because then it's, because then it's like, oh yeah, you beat Haiti. Okay, who cares, right? Right. Uh, and then it's, and then you lost to Mexico. Oh, you know, woe is me. Or if you're from Montreal, sacre bleu. You know, we, we, we how can we keep up with the great Mexico? And then they would continue having this little, you know, again, uh, pity party, um, which should be you know saved for Atlanta. Pity Martinez. Hey. I, was, I thought that was pretty clever. But this is a team that needs... I think they need a kind of kick in the butt like this. Like, you're better than this. You're not as bad as you think. Your defense is. But Canada really should be better than that. See, well, Canada should be better than that. I agree with you on that. They are but better than that. Here's the thing. I, I, I'm with you in... The, I think the concept you're going for is right. But I think that that would be better applied if they had led, if they had beaten Haiti and then led Mexico, like, 2 nothing at a halftime and blown that. To me, then I would see your point more. But the problem with beating the with blowing the lead against Haiti is like, I may I, I may have been a little dramatic with the setting the team back a few years. But the problem when you do that is that it leads to this like self doubt going in the future. And maybe it does turn out to be a good thing. And they say, okay, remember last time we took our foot off the gas and it came back to bite us in the butt. This time we're not. We're stepping on the throat and we're winning this game. I just. It, I, it does a lot of psychological damage to me. That's a very young team, and young teams tend to grow. You know, you got to learn to hate to lose before you can love to win. But you worry that like this mentality that Canada has, which admittedly, like we saw against Mexico, wasn't the strongest. You worry that that hurts them again in the future. And look, this is this was it. Like this is Canada's. This was Canada's biggest game in years, right? Since yeah, I, probably since the last World Cup qualifiers before they were eliminated in by I think they were in the same group as Mexico. So, you know, the the reason I say this is because like that's that's it. Like there won't be more competitive games for Canada until the World Cup qualifiers start back up. And we've seen that and there are other examples of this and we'll probably talk about them as we go on, but like Competing at the Gold Cup is one thing. Competing in those World Cup qualifiers has now become priority number one for Canada. They have to try to make a run at this tournament for to set themselves up better for 2026. And after that loss, I'm not I'm not buying the Canadian resurrection just yet anymore. They I put my faith in them and they let me down. The the problem is, yeah, I think we all did. Canada needed they need a they need a higher mentality, right? So once again, it's, oh, Canada, we can't perform. I mean, just look at the opponents that they played before this Gold Cup. The last six opponents were Trinidad and Tobago, French Guiana, St. Kitts and Nevis, Dominica, 
and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Challenge yourself, Canada. You're not going to... The reason why you don't rise in the rankings, why they're still like ranked 100th or 80th, is because they don't challenge themselves. They don't, they're not willing to take that next step. And yeah, maybe getting to the Gold Cup semifinal would be better for them. You know, everyone wants to win. Uh, but there needs to be at least more than this, you know, again, we're too small, we can't compete. They, they were up 2 nothing. That, that should have been a win. I think we can all acknowledge Canada's probably overall a better team than Haiti. Herdman has, I don't think he's gotten his tactics right in this tournament so far. And that includes, I mean, yeah, okay, you beat Cuba 7 nothing, and you beat Martinique 4 nothing. It's a bigger country. You should be doing that, right? It's like when the U.S. beats Trinidad and Tobago 6 nothing. Yeah, that's what should be that's happening. Should, yeah, that's what should be happening. And uh, you talked about his tactics. I think that, well, it looked like he had it right at first, but the, the biggest part of adjustments, and this is the downfall of many coaches, is the fact that they seem to be able to get the first 40 minutes right, 45 minutes right, and then the second half comes, the other team makes an adjustment, and they're unable to kind of turn that around and say, all right, they've made an adjustment. It's time for us to make another adjustment to make sure this doesn't get out of hand. And, it, I mean, can we talk about the fact that Canada just, like, they, they were just happy to let Haiti possess the ball to continue attacking them? It was like they thought that, well, what are the odds they'll score three times in 90 minutes? Well... And, you know, looking back, it's 100% because that's what happened. Yeah. Uh, so kind of mo- we'll move on from this, but Canada needs, I think, to find some defenders. Um, it is a y- very young defense. I mean, their oldest defender is Ashton Morgan, who's been a USL player his whole life and is only with Toronto because they had injury crisis last year. Uh, Derek Cornelius is 21. Um, Zachary Brault-Guillard is 20, fullback for impact. Kamal Miller drafted by Orlando City. So I think that there's uh, some potential moving forward, but there definitely, definitely, definitely needs to be some new people coming in. Uh, I'm, you know, the fact that they're applying Atiba Hutchinson at, at center back for a lot of the tournament a, says a, a lot. Name. But <laughs> he's up there. But I, I do think that we, you know, moving forward, this is, like we said, a young team. Only, what, like three players are going to be aged out by the next World Cup? Probably Will Johnson, maybe Scott Arfield. Uh, and Atiba Hutchinson, who's 36, will probably be the only other one. One more thing. That uh, Marcus Godinho penalty. I mean, you want to talk about shooting yourselves in the foot. That tackle was horrendous. I don't know it what was, he was it, it's, The commentator in Spanish said that it was one of the stupidest things he'd ever seen. And I can't... I, I wouldn't even come close to arguing it because he just... I. I don't even – you can't like – sometimes you can rationalize what people were thinking because especially if you've ever played the sport, you can kind of put yourself in the shoes and say, well, okay, I can see what he saw. I, didn't, I have no idea what he thought. He was never winning that ball. And, I mean, he assaulted the guy. Yeah, he lunged in pretty hard, two-footed. It wasn't studs up, but it was a pretty heavy also, challenge. Uh, he, his name he made the pass is back. underrated. Marcus Godinho. Godinho. Yeah. Oh, well. Well, it's – he sounds like he should be Brazilian, but of course he plays like a Canadian. Mm. He also made the pass back for in the first goal for Milan Borjan. Oh man, he had a disaster of a day. That's right. Can I? I want to be fair. He passes it back. It's not a lot of pace on it, but Borjan just sits there. He sits he and he expe- waits. And he he waits expected and he waits. it to go the other way. I think from one of the angles I saw, he starts to go left, and then he's like, "Oh, this isn't going left, is it?" And then it's way too late by the time he realizes it. But he had pl- my point is you know I'm a goalkeeper. I, I know I'm he, surprised to hear you calling out a goalkeeper. 
he t- he takes two he, so and then he's blaming Godinho for the pass. I mean, if you're in that situation, there's any chance someone's going to run it down. You sprint, you slide, and you kick. I it do out. agree. I, you kick I it out agree of with you it's, in the sense that. I, I think he was very lackadaisical with his effort to go get it. I mean, at that point, when you've when it's one on one, I mean, you got to go for that ball. That was the time for the tackle where it's like, well, man, if I get the guy, oh well, you know, I got to go for this. We need this. Well, I mean, he gets the ball first. He just kind of like, anywhere, just any, anywhere his, will he do. Throws it, he just throws his foot yeah. at it, and he's never going to win the challenge like that. Like, I don't know. It was soft for me from a guy who plays in Serbia. You would think that he'd be a little bit tougher than that. <laughs> All right, all right. That's let's, all unfair. But let's move on to Mexico. Oh, uh, we'll we'll take a look at the past game just a little yeah. bit um, because that was, of course, a fantastic game against two big teams in the region. And then we'll look into the Mexico Haiti semifinal. So first up, penalties, Eric. I know that got your blood pressure. I going. can't. I can't believe it. So I turned to my to my friend and I told her it's over. I, Jimenez misses that kick, and I'm like, oh, my God, we're going to lose. And she starts – I thought she's so. not, like, a big sports person. Like, so she was just like, I mean, why do you – like, why she, – she legitimately asked me, like, why do you care so much? And I'm like, what? And she's like, I mean – The nerve. The nerve, right? She's like, why – it's like we have uh, we have you know bomb food and music and I'm like that I'm what's the point of having a soccer team if we can't beat Costa Rica? True, though Costa Rica is a bit harsh. I mean, I would say based off of international performances, the second best team in the region. So, uh, can we talk about the fact that in the end, Costa Rica ends up eliminated in a penalty shootout after not bringing Kaylor Navas? Yeah, strange not to bring him. I mean, the, okay, the keeper makes a save in the first. He one. does, but that was an awful penalty. I would have saved it. Well, we'll have to try that out. <laughs> We're gonna get Eric out on the field. Jimenez, <laughs> I think Jimenez was just—he was gassed, and so he's—he's he's mentally fragile in that moment. Uh, the the commentary made mention of the fact that he basically only kicked it. He didn't use any other, like he didn't use his arms. He didn't put his body into it. He just literally kicked it. And when you do that, it's very easy. It's you're very telegraphed in your motion, and you're very and you don't get as much power on it. So that's basically what happened. That was very soft penalty. He was just trying to keep it on target. I mean, you can sometimes tell who's trying to take a penalty and who's just trying to put it on target. Uh, In the end, Mexico does prevail. Spoiler alert: Uh, Memo Ochoa, of course, is the hero. Makes a fan, makes a fantastic save. What do you expect? Uh, But. Mexico probably deserved this one. Yeah. All things considered. I mean, Costa Rica really only had, I'm going to say, two good chances. They hit the post early in the game, and you might remember it because it was offside uh, afterwards, but the the shot itself wasn't offside. It was the rebound that that the referee put his flag up because I think it was Ruiz ended up in an offside position, and the referee didn't take any chances with any rebounds, which is what is supposed to happen. But... So you may not remember that one. Yeah, the penalty, which was not a penalty, by the way. I can't believe five years later I'm doing it again. Was not a penalty. Was not even in the box. Was not even a foul. I, I, th- yeah, that was harsh. So, I mean, Mexico kind of, like, you know, they were the better team. Costa Rica was pretty much gifted their only goal. Yes. Uh, and, I mean, listen, I, I'm a big proponent of if you're outmatched, you can put yourself in a position to win games, by especially an international level, by playing like that. You keep the other team to at max one goal, 
play strong defensively and try to steal a goal here or there. I mean, you know, looking forward to the other semifinal, Jamaica does that. They score more than like one goal in any game this this so far. Oh man, if they have, I do not remember it. I mean, that's how they've essentially gotten to two straight finals, beating the U.S. and then yeah, Mexico what they do, in the semifinals. What they do, they do it very well. And there is something absolutely to be said about teams that know what they're capable of and play to those strengths. It, it, honestly, it's one of my biggest pet peeves when teams don't, like, they don't, everyone tries to do this, like, oh, I have my system and we're going to do it this way and this way only. And it's like, or, or, hear me out, we could play to the strengths of the players that we have. And you seem to be quite close to that with both Burhalter, the national team, and Sari at Chelsea kind of playing like that. Uh, Jamaica, uh, by know. the way, scored three times against Honduras, although let's be honest with ourselves, scoring three times on this Honduras. Yeah, Honduras was, did not really show up in this one, except for El Salvador. They wanted to make sure Curacao got through. So um, we do have Mexico versus Haiti after that nail-biter. Mexico, I think... After that first penalty, no one thought they were going to go through, but of course, Ochoa comes up big. Uh, and Mexico, Haiti, semifinal. I think there's only one team anyone's expecting to do anything here in Mexico, but I also think anyone who's not Mexican will be pulling for Haiti <laughs> after what they did to Canada. Ain't that the truth? Yeah, a lot of people will probably be cheering for Haiti at this point. And in a fair play, you know, I think it's a fair, it's a fair thing to go for at this point. I, my... My thing is, you know, Mexico obviously favorites. Mexico need to not be so complacent, though, because Haiti, at this point, they've already really had nothing to lose up to this point, but now they really have nothing to lose. If Haiti gets beat 5 nothing, no one's going to talk about the fact that Haiti got beat 5 nothing. It's just going to be, well, Mexico to the final again. Haiti wins, and, I mean, it's going to be the story of... I'm sure that'll probably make some worldwide headlines, Haiti beating Mexico. In a tournament, Curacao made. I mean, I think Katie made headlines against Canada. I think they uh, Curacao made headlines advancing for the first time. So, yeah, it it would be a national story, uh, international story. Excuse me, uh, this Haiti team is definitely not anywhere close to that Mexico team. And like you mentioned, and how Canada failed to, I think if you're Haiti, you approach this game without anything to lose. You don't say, "Oh, what was me? How can we keep up with Mexico?" No, um, go out there and play your and game. Co- What's the worst that could happen? And I think in in Haiti's case, that game is counterattacking. It is defending f- defense first, and then saying, "Okay, we'll send our you know our gun- big guns up top. We'll let them run one v one at and defenders, got, and we'll see what happens." And they've got the roadmap too, because that's basically what Costa Rica did. Costa Rica now, Costa Rica does handle the ball a bit more, especially under Matosas. Now they've they've transitioned to having a little bit more of the ball. But we saw yesterday a little more class, or not yesterday, uh, two days ago. Costa Rica's, you know, kind of roots coming back out, showing themselves in Mexico dominating possession for periods at a time. And then just out of nowhere, the possession would change. And, you know, it was long ball to Joel Campbell. And that's the long ball to Joel Campbell. Well, it was it wasn't a foul, but it did create that dangerous situation. It did. And I think the way especially the way Tata and Mexico play, we could see something like 70 percent possession for Mexico in this game. Um, we could see them just. You know, Haiti saying, yeah, go ahead, take the ball, take the ball. We don't want it. We don't want it. And then um, it, it won't take much. Haiti's good on the counterattack. I think the Mexico defense is significantly better than Canada's, uh, so they'll be able to deal with it slightly better. They probably won't, you know, gift away a first goal and then give a penalty for the second. Uh, so I don't think Haiti will get that lucky the way Canada kind of shot themselves in the foot. Right. But if you keep them to one nothing, if you keep it to 0-0... 
Things happen, man. It's international level. Yeah. I set one set piece, one lucky penalty. It doesn't take much. It really doesn't. And, you know, it's like we said, it's anybody's game now. You have nothing to lose if you're Haiti. We'll see what happens, though. Again, I fully expect Mexico to be on top of this one, hopefully. Uh, in Arizona, by the way, it'd be interesting. It'd probably be a full house. It's going to be a home game for Mexico. And it's not even going to be anywhere near close, so... Pretty much all it's of them are. It's going to be a hostile uh, It'll be no different. So... It will be. Uh, uh, so we'll move on, yeah. then, to the uh, first. We'll kind of talk about uh, the quarterfinals, Jamaica, uh, with a penalty, Darren Maddox penalty off of a, you know, again, the rather unlucky handball. The great Darren Maddox, once again, coming through for Jamaica. National hero, James... National Darren Maddox. legend Darren Maddox. Uh, it, there wasn't much else to it. This was Maddox, Panama had like it was a header. Oh yeah, go, go, yeah, go I ahead. was just gonna say Panama had the one oh, chance okay. the whole game, and they didn't put it away. So this is not the Panama or even the Costa Rica to be fair. Of this isn't you know, your grandfather's Panama. This isn't. This isn't my. This is not my Panama. Uh, they're all aging. Panama's aging, Costa Rica's aging, uh, kind of out of the greatness of you know that quarterfinal World Cup run that Costa Rica had, where they almost made it uh, to the to the semifinal, which would have been outstanding. Uh, so, yeah, I mean Maddox, seventeen goals for the national team. It's it's fair to say that he's a massively important player for them. Uh, they also have obviously Leon Bailey, one of your favorites, Eric. Yes, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and just in general, this is a team that's gonna that that can hit you on the counter, and they know how to play games out to one nothing or zero zero. I mean, so the only goals, only games they've scored in 2019 with more than one game. Excuse me, the only games which had more than one goal has been scored for either team was that Gold Cup game against Honduras three two, and they lost two nothing to El Salvador in the Concacaf Nations League uh, back in March. So this is a team that. That can they can do a one nothing. They've got to the gold cup two years and two back to back gold cups. Not year back to back years, but back to back gold cups. And the U.S. just lost to them. Oh yeah, this uh, not a couple months. This ago. has me. I'm not gonna lie to you. This has me legitimately concerned for the U.S. because the way they played against Curacao will get them to lose. I assure you. They will lose to Jamaica if they play at that level. And look, you know, it is hard to beat a team twice, admittedly. Now, Burhalter has seen the way Jamaica is going to try to go after the U.S. I, you know, far be it from me to underestimate this Jamaican team that has now been to two consecutive Gold Cup finals and that third time, the third straight time now in the semifinals. But I, I will say that Burhalter should at least have the leg up in the sense that he's already seen the Jamaican attack plan against him. It's not likely to change, I don't imagine. I don't. I don't really think of Jamaica too tactically nuanced. They have their way of doing things, and that's how they've gotten by to this point. So, my biggest concern for the U.S. is like this continued just like passing the ball around, and no, there's no, no nobody really going after it. You know, it's just these passes around the field, trying to see if they get a weak point, and it never comes. Like it's it's really frustrating to watch the ball just kind of go around in circles. Waiting and, you know, a bad cross here, a set piece that goes horribly awry here. And all it takes is one good counterattack. And we almost saw it yesterday. Kurosawa had a chance. Uh, 83rd minute, I think, Zach Steffen had to make a pretty good save. Off the fantastic Leandro Bakuna, who is everywhere. He made Michael Bradley look like a tortoise. Uh, and, you know, I've mentioned all you had to do is play for a one-goal game. Kurosawa did that. 
In all honesty, that was the get game went exactly how Curacao wanted. Curacao dominated possession in the e- second half, by the that way. That could have went either way. That's true. They probably didn't exactly want that. They probably wanted more chances to hit on the counter, uh, which is crazy to that, think. The U.S. getting out in the get the U.S. in the U.S. getting out possessed by Curacao in the second half is peak. Like, what are we doing? The thing is. I don't think it's terrible it's idea. It's a skewed stat in the sense because Curacao was a team that was down. So uh, by the end, it's like, well, yeah, I don't want the U.S. possessing the ball too much either. By that point, I mean, let's, look, let's just look at the defenders you have. Okay, so Long, I think Long and Zimmerman are pretty athletic, uh, but they're not, you know, world class defenders. You know, I think we'd be more comfortable with John Brooks. You bring on Ormar Gonzalez. You don't want him running back towards your own goal. Tim Ream is a liability if he's not standing still and trying to win a header. So, the U.S. saying, okay, we're going to play, we have three guys back here, four guys, we include Bradley, who are over six foot two. Yeah, come launch the ball in our box. We'll deal with it. Is that, I mean, it's not the worst like thing. we mentioned, I mean, and remember, teams being able to counterattack. By the way, the U.S. goal comes off a set piece on a header. Weston McKinney, not the tallest guy on the field, but. Well, yeah, it was a nice cross from Pulisic. He cuts back onto his right. Uh, and curls it in. Uh, it was better from Pulisic uh, and McKenney. Was it, it was kind of both of what those players do well. Yeah. Uh, McKenney's is a little bit more off the ball, a little bit more just movement. While Pulisic, obviously fantastic on the ball. But again, I I think that the, I am not as upset with the U.S. giving up possession because I think Curacao just wanted to counterattack. It was a classic Jose Mourinho against Barcelona for Inter Milan in 2011. You can't counter us if we never have the ball. Yeah, come try to break us down. I They assumed Curacao didn't have it. I don't know if that was the actual strategy, but if it was, I wouldn't have been against it. And if they do it against Jamaica, I think that's also fine. Darren Maddox isn't a guy who's going to play in tight spaces. He wants to play on the counter. <laughs> you better watch yeah. out. Darren Maddox, 90th minute screamer from outside the box to win it for Jamaica. <laughs> that's, what you're, that's what you're asking for right now. Honestly, I th- it would be very interesting to see. I'll put it <laughs> I, out there. I, I, I I don't know. I think I'd slam my, I'd slam everything at that point. I'd flip a desk. What's the situation? That's tie game at that. It's point? a tie game at that point, so it's the winner. Oh uh, yeah, that wouldn't be great. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, if if the U.S. was sitting back, it would kind of ruin my plan here. But I wouldn't be surprised if the U.S. tries to play heavy attacking early, try to get a goal. I mean, Curtis almost scored in the first like thirty seconds last time. If they give up that to Jamaica, they're going to be in for a long day. They will be. They can't afford to let Jamaica score first on them because I, I will I will be as bold as to say if Jamaica scores the first goal in this game, they'll end up winning the game. Because I, I, I think that the U, we talked about fragile mentalities. I genuinely believe the U.S. is one bad situation away from being totally finished in the game by one bad thing. It, all it's going to take is like some miscommunication, like Zach Steffen trying to play the ball out of the back, making a mistake and giving up a goal. To me, that's game over. By the way, did you see Stefan launching the ball against Curacao? Yeah. I think that that is one of the most valuable things that a team that wants to play out of the back can have. And I point specifically to Ederson with Man City. If you have the ability to launch it over a defense, they're always thinking that in their mind. we got to drop back. We can't let this ball come over our head from a goal kick. So if that's a possibility, teams are already looking to drop back a little bit. And that opens up so much more space to play out of the back. The defense is further back, and it just has so much more room in the midfield. The defenders can get the ball and find their players. 
really underrated ability to have. Now, me, I, I could only really reach midfield, so that was never a real thing, possibility for me. But for guys like Ederson and Stefan, maybe that's part of the reason City wants him, because he can do both. You never, you never had one of those days where the wind was at your back and you just decided to let somebody know, hey, hey, this one of these times, I'm just going to... I'm kicking this one as hard as I can. We're going to use the wind. Get in behind, buddy. Not on goal kicks, but on punts. On a punt, I, I had plenty of times where I put it over a defense. Uh, I got assist in high school. That's <laughs> eh, high school. But hey, just when I peaked, of right, course. Right. <laughs> Back in my lower Marion days. But I did have one. I'll, last bit about this, where the wind was coming into me, and I did punt it out for a throw-in oh. behind where I kicked it. Oh. <laughs> Ball literally went backwards <laughs> with so much wind. Ouch. But uh, enough on yeah. that. Um, I, I like you mentioned, Jamaica scores first. There's no leaders on the U.S. team. What was it Pulisic was the captain? Pulisic last was the time? captain last night. Which, by the way, I appreciate the slap in the face to Michael Bradley to just continue to rotate the armband around him. But I have to. But admit, it shows the mentality. Like, that's pretty brutal to think about. Now, I'd like to think that Pulisic is a leader and has earned it. But I, I think that with the rotating captaincy, it's been made pretty clear that there just isn't a captain right now. And. Say what you want about this new age idea that maybe you don't necessarily need a captain. Let's be honest. If there's no captain on the team, it's probably not a good thing. Yeah, you don't really need a captain. But look at some of the best captains. I mean, they get the best out of you. Look at Carlos Puyol. You want that guy on your team. It's true. That bar- that Barcelona age. You want someone who, when Sergio Busquets is rolling on the ground, to be coming over and picking him up and saying play. You want a guy who's going to get on your case. It might hurt your feelings, but it'll make the team better. And the U.S. could be lacking that. They really, and especially the way they play, I can see why you would say, "Yeah, that's a little bit of a fragile mentality." I, I just well, we'll see. Like I said, I I am very concerned for this game against Jamaica. The U.S. has surprised us before, though. Uh, things things have happened before. I, I say the same thing though. If the U.S. does score first, I do think they'll be in a better position because I do think the confidence will kind of you know, will come back to them at that point. And the U.S. playing with confidence certainly better off than this kind of fragile, we're just going to, we've got the possession, let's just not, let's not do anything dumb, let's not make any mistakes. And when you play not to make mistakes, you end up making mistakes. Exactly. Very true. Um, Especially when you still try to kind of play possession, when you're trying to play with the ball. If you're not trying to make mistakes and you're saying, okay, hoof it. Yeah, I think you usually get away with it because it's kind of like because you know it it was like I was saying with the Canada goalkeeper coming out at that point it's anywhere anywhere other than the goal man just like you could have thrown it you could have kicked it out for a corner and the result would have been acceptable at that point he just didn't come to the ball but yeah and that's and that was some tentativeness that was I think a little bit of nerves on Canada and that's kind of the you could see that starting to leak before that you know the goal started coming and that was one sign but the u.s i think they're not canada uh they have a defense that i think is reliable we will question you know what the lineup will be uh just kind of looking across i think we're gonna see tyler boyd at right wing but since that first game i haven't seen enough out of him i, I agree with you i just I, I would actually prefer to see jordan morris maybe get a start i do think i understand the point of starting Boyd and then bringing on Morris because, you know, Morris brings you a little more pace. He's a little more traditional. Well, not traditional because, I mean, he started out as a striker, but he has that more – he has more winger mentality. Boyd is much more midfielder, you know, wide midfielder type of player. He's creative. He's not making those big right. darting runs outside because he's, he's not the fastest player. Jordan Morris, on the other hand, 70 minutes in against tired legs. I understand it. 
I just sometimes I think that maybe we'd be better off putting Jordan Morris to start because his runs can be such a big difference. And here's one more. I can't believe I'm going to say this, Emmett, but I'm ready. It's time. Let's it's, hear it. Josie Altador's got to go back as a striker. Bozy time. It's Josie time. I can't do it anymore. Uh, Josie, world class touch, Zardis. Wow, yeah. Um, he had that one chance in, like, towards the end of the game. He just puts it straight over the net. It's not an easy finish by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I just slapped my head my head at that point. Somebody asked me, does the U.S. really not have any better strikers? And I said, no. No, that's the worst part. Yeah. I think the problem was he was never going to finish that with how he went, approached it. I could get in to try to, like, analyze that finish. You know, he, oh, he could have taken it with his left. <sighs> He's leaning back. He's reaching. We, there could be a whole case study done on this Diossi's artist, but I think it's best we move on. Uh, yeah, so um, I am worried about the U.S.'s reliance on their wingers' direct play. Paul Ariola, uh, I think Jordan Morris is better for it uh, because they, they do seem to want to play with their wingers wide. And like you mentioned, uh, Jordan Morris does fit the bill of the current system's wingers more than Tyler Boyd. But the other fact of the matter is this is a Jamaica defense that is bigger, faster, stronger than the U.S. wingers. And I'm going to foresee Boyd and Areola really struggling, especially Boyd against Kamar Lawrence, who I think is a fantastic left back. He will... Alvis Powell on the other side, I think... Ariola can get the best of him a couple times. Uh, just maybe being more clever, Powell's error prone, but I don't know what you do on that right side because I think Boyd is better. The fact that he kind of drops a little bit deeper can pull Lawrence out. You don't want to go up against him. You're going to lose that duel 10 times out of 10. Yeah. Well, I guess so, we'll see. Wednesday night. Yeah, Wednesday night. Uh, looking forward to that game when they're also going to be having MLS playing. I can't believe every time the U.S. plays, MLS games are going on. Someone is getting fired over at scheduling. Uh, this is definitely one that will be on the radar given Jamaica's history in the Gold Cup and the U.S.'s history of falling apart. See you in, in uh, Nashville. That said, that's, uh, who are we seeing in Nashville, by the way? The U.S. men's who? national team. Oh, so you're predicting a win then? No, no, no. That, that's the, that's where the semifinal is. The, oh, fi- right, the finals right, right. in the Chicago. Finals in Chicago. Yeah. Chicago. Yep, so Nashville, I mean, I don't th- I think there's a really big Jamaican population there, but then again, I don't think that there's a really big Jamaican population in any of these games. Ah, uh, you know what? Chicago has a actually a, a hilariously larger sized Jamaican than you would realize. Chicago's a big city. They well, got a lot of everything. So the point is, if can you imagine US, Jamaica, Mexico, Haitian? It'll be a Mexico home game. Yeah, can you imagine Jamaica, Jamaica against Haiti, though? In the in final? The final. <laughs> CONCACAF would lose it. All the money, I mean. Of I think course. If, They'd be I losing think if Mexico money. find a way to lose to Haiti, we'll see some shady uh, refereeing, similar to what we saw in 2015, if you might remember, when Mexico, after the U.S. had lost to Jamaica in the semifinal. This was back when they still played the semifinal in the same day in the same stadium as like a doubleheader. Mm-hmm. The U.S. played Jamaica, and Jamaica beat them 2-0. And then in the next game, Mexico, like, was was literally done. They had done nothing all game long. Panama was going to defeat them, and then the, this hilariously horrific handball call on Ramon Torres. <laughs> yeah, they were basically gifted the final because, I mean, oh, Panama-Jamaica, that would bring in the viewers. 
uh, not like the U.S. If you U.S. Mexico, it'll be a home game for Mexico, so that'll be interesting. Haiti versus Jamaica, it'll be an empty stadium, uh, but it'll be also a pretty historic Gold Cup because we'll have a winner that isn't Mexico or U.S. It'd be the first Caribbean winner ever, I would think. Could be. I, I, could I say be. could be. I know in the Gold Cup era it would be because in the Gold Cup era, the only yeah. team that's ever won if it's not Mexico or the U.S. is Canada. But I'm, I'm going to go ahead and include all those years of the CONCACAF championship, which goes back like another 50. I don't know. They may, somebody may have won one in there. We'll, we'll get the intern. Uh, but there has definitely a, uh, been a rise in the Caribbean nation's abilities. Uh, it, it had been uh, dominance, of course, the U.S., Mexico, and also some Central American countries for a long time. So seeing Jamaica, Haiti... Even Curacao, I mean, Cuco Martina, Leandro Bacuna, two Premier League-level players, being able to compete is always... It's good, for the, it's good for the U.S., it's good for the competition, it's good for soccer. Historically speaking, just to wrap things up here in a nice little neat bow, apparently Haiti won the uh, Confederation Centroamericana and Caribe, so apparently consisting of just set the Central America. Uh, that is literally sounds like a made-up competition. It's not, apparently. It's called the CCCF... It's called the CCCF, and it's not a, it's a real competition? Yes, and it was won by oh, Haiti man. in 1957. Well, there you go. Uh, perhaps some uh, foreshadowing for what's Haiti going to happen in the future. Haiti also won the 1973 when... CONCACAF Championship. Powerhouse Haiti, how about <laughs> how that? How about that, indeed, yeah. Foreshadowing for when they beat Mexico 2-0 and then beat the U.S. Stop. 7-0 in the final. I what? can't handle that. <laughs> I, I don't want to live. My heart. I don't want to live on this planet anymore. Let's let's move Please. on from there. Uh, let's move on from this uh, alternate reality where Haiti is uh, a powerhouse in world soccer to some other powerhouses in world soccer: the Copa America, Brazil, Argentina semi-final. How about that? Biggest game in the history of our lives, and yet somehow both teams are underwhelming. Argentina much more so, but I mean, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for it. I'm ready. Me- I'm I'm calling it now. Messy masterclass to send them through. Mark my I words. Can't, I be- I believe it, and here's why. One, Argentina just continue to fall upwards into finals, and two, the, then they're going to play Chile in the final and lose on penalties <laughs> for a third consecutive Copa Can America. you imagine? I can imagine. I just said it. I- so, I mean, I don't want to dwell too much on what happened to get these teams here, but can we talk also talk about the fact that we had three semifinals and 0-0 and go to penalties? Yeah, um, that was astounding. So it was Argentina. It was the only game with goals. They won 2 nothing against, I believe, Venezuela. Was, uh, Venezuela. And by the way, if they don't score early against Venezuela, I assure you that game ends 0-0 too. Uh, if we're talking about Argentina, can we also talk for a second about their forward decision? We're going to bring it back a whole year uh, and and awaken the dead from when Eric called for Mauro Icardi, and it's now to be the forward. And at the time, I think it was a good decision. And now it's fellow Inter Milan forward Lautaro Martinez, who has been starting for Argentina, and I think been doing a pretty good job. I mean, all things considered, it's been respectable. I just... I. It, I, it's so hard to talk about Argentina because when you start talking about Argentina, you start to think like Lautaro Martinez or Sergio Aguero starting at forward, right? And you're like, well, obviously it has to be Sergio Aguero. But the way he's played, it hasn't it hasn't lent itself to like putting him there constantly. It's such a disaster. 
with this team. You just never really know what exactly to say because every time you think that there's some kind of reasoning. Remember last year during the World Cup, we were just talking about scenarios and who should be playing where and how they should be trying to play. And if you might remember when I when we last talked about the Copa America, I said I gave up trying to understand Argentina. I'm still there. Like I, at this point, everything that happens is like. You just have to look at it, and 20 years from now, people are going to try to study this team and say, how on earth did this team simultaneously have the best player in the world underperform and still make it to... This is this would be, what, a fourth straight major tournament final for them? Outside of the World Cup this past summer, which doesn't uh, count. Know, they did end up losing to the champion, okay. so we can we can give that one as a fifth final then. How about we say I that? I mean, they just... But yeah, straight Copa they continue America to finals... Do- if they make this one, yeah, of course. Right. Like, they just continue to fall upwards. And that's how we continue to describe it because that is, the, the, in my mind, the only way to describe it as a team that has world-class talent but also somehow has some of the biggest holes in their team that I can see. They have more holes in this team than Canada's defense. Slam. Right there. I mean, ugh. And the thing is, I, this is probably a better Argentina side than we've seen in the past couple of years. They're bringing in youth. They're getting guys into the lineup I will say, who I think are really important to moving them forward. Guys like Lautaro Martinez, guys like Giovanni Lo Celso. Guys that are willing to play a certain way. And like it or not, I mean, I've been saying it for a while. Maybe Argentina is better off just trying to play a little more defensively and just letting letting the offense work however it needs to work when they do have the ball because i mean look they haven't exactly been powerhouses not like messi's been doing a whole lot so they're now here because they've basically done enough not to like implode in on themselves which has been part of the problem at times so if you could fix that maybe you argue you just hold out you know hold out as long as you can don't concede to the other team and hope that the messi masterclass takes over at some point i'm i'm for it I think they should be playing counterattacking because it's not as if this is or has ever been a midfield built around uh, dominating possession. I mean, I guess you can say Javier Mascarano played for Barcelona back, you know, as even as long as last World Cup when he was playing. But you look at this midfield, uh, Giovanni Lo Celso, uh, Rodrigo De Paul, Leandro Paredes, good players, quality players, but not the guys I would try to possess around. If I was Brazil, I might. If I had guys like, you know, Fernandinho or Casemiro, Coutinho, yeah, I might be trying to possess more in the midfield, but they've never had the center midfield to be able to possess. They should be... They're really heavily stacked in the forward line, always have been. Why not uh, play towards the counterattack? Yeah, why not? What's the worst that could happen? Well, if you're Argentina, you certainly can't sink any lower in terms of expectations at this point. Everybody just assumed they'd be out by this point, and yet, here they are, so... I guess you can't argue with results. Uh, the other the other side of this coin, Brazil, spectacularly unspectacular, and yet they have all the advantages in the world, right? Outside of the fact that Messi's going to be the best player on the field. Every other position on the field, I would argue, is probably in favor of Brazil, no? The only argument I would put out would probably be center forward, I think, Lautaro Martinez and Sergio Aguero. Uh, they both played, started up top last game, and they seem to be playing well when those guys are and Messi are playing as like a front three. Uh, side note, but 
I, I would say those guys have been doing better than Gabriel Jesus, who's gotten a lot of stick for the way things have been going. Uh, uh, Gabriel Jesus, to talk about, uh, to go into a philosophical conversation for a minute, I actually think okay. Gabriel Jesus has been done a disservice in his national team duties by the fact by the way he plays for Guardiola. Because if you see him, there are times where there's there are runs to be made forward with the ball. He has he's a very strong guy. He should be able and he and he's got a pretty decent amount of pace on him as well. So he should be able to make a run with the ball past the defense at times. And yet it's always he's always kind of looking over like who am I passing to? And I think that's I think that's a product of the fact that he plays for Guardiola in a system where it kind of takes your personality away from you. That's bonkers. What? I'm putting that out there. That's a bonk. You think that him wanting to pass the ball makes him, and playing under the best coach in our recent memory, makes him a no, worse I, player? No, I didn't say a worse player. I said that it's, I think that it's a switch in mentality that's difficult to change and turn off when you're playing for Brazil who doesn't play the same way. I, I just... So here's why I disagree with that. Other than France, look at the other than France, look at the past two World Cup winners, Spain and Germany, both at the times where Pep Guardiola was coaching the team there that where most of the national team players came from, and as a result, the national team played a similar identity to his. And they were dominant. I I, I agree, I think to a certain extent that when you play under Pep, everything else and I think it's impacted players like John Stones for England. It's tough when other players can't keep up. I mean, there was that what that play in the um, Nations League where Ross Barkley got a pass to Stones, <laughs> and under and under Man City that would be a good pass. He'd play it to David Silva. He would get it with the ball to his, with the man on his back, and he'd control it. But Ross Barkley couldn't do it. Okay. <laughs> funny enough. So people say. Funny enough, my somebody was like, "Why do you hate Ross Barkley so much?" And that happened like ten minutes later, and I was like, "See," and so I do think a good enough player should be able to take control of that. And I do think, to your point, I'll give you credit here, that yes, under Pep, that would be a good play. And then when you're not with Pep, you do it, and suddenly, bam, it's a goal for the other team because they're not ready for it. I disagree that Pep takes away identity because I have seen Jesus for City. I've seen Sané and Sterling for City taking players on, getting to the end line, putting it across. Uh, And I think that, if anything, Pep brings out more of players' identities and with Jesus, I guess I can see how Brazil, it's all about flair. It's all about, you know, um, you know, Joga Benito. It's not, it's not enough to win it. you got to win pretty. Yeah, so I think that the way you put it, I, I think, like I said, bonkers. But uh, there is something to it, but I disagree with most all of right, it. That's fair. I just Did I, I get that? Th- I, was thro- I was just throwing it out there, just a hypothesis, just something that I had picked up on. And I love that. Uh, I love that. You know what? I I think there's something to the difference between national teams and, and there's certain there are, there always is. It's not this isn't just exclusive to Guardiola too. There are, there will be other right. players. I'm sure if we look around the teams that they play on. It, I mean, we could even go as far as the U.S. We're trying to play possession soccer. How many of these guys play on teams that are possessing the ball a lot? Not many. Hold on, give me a couple hours. I might be able to play. All right. Well, when we get when you get back to me with that, we'll 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 jump to the Zach other. Stephan. There you go, Zach Stefan. Even okay. though he's going to play for Freiburg, so, was, so. <laughs> the of course possession heavy Freiburg. Uh, <laughs> but back to Brazil. Uh, Sorry, I think that <laughs> I just pictured Freiburg trying to take the game to Bayern, <laughs> putting Stefan up top. Yeah. With even if Jesus, if you're saying he's not fitting the system, you have Firmino, 
who's a hard-working forward. You have Jesus, a guy who's really mobile, who wants to play with the ball. I think it kind of comes down to how they want to play, and they have the players for it. Do they want to play high-aggression, high-octane play? Okay, go throw out David Neres, Roberto Firmino, and Richarlison, and let them run for 90 minutes, and let them run Otamendi into the ground. Do you want to play possession and pretty football and move the ball and take on dribbles? Okay, put out Everton, Gabriel Jesus, and Willian or Philip Coutinho, and have them do 1v1 plays. So it's whatever they want to do, it's there. The matter, the problem with Brazil is they haven't figured it out. Danny Alves is their best player at 36, and that is bonkers. <laughs> I agree with you on that. I Brazil have been so largely inconsistent. And for me, it's just got to be, you got to be bombarding the Argentine goal right from the beginning because that is a defense that it cannot, it, it cannot compete with the level of talent that Brazil has on offense. So you have got to be just, I mean, it's got to be attack, 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 attack. You can't let the game go 60, 70 minutes without a goal because that's when the nerves are going to start to set in. And all it's going to take when you have a player like Messi on the other team, all it takes is one. One stupid foul, like one bad mistake, one bad one hair out of place. I mean, look, Messi scores a free kick in the 60th minute tomorrow uh, and wins the game. Is that... Like, is that so insane? No. And, I mean, that's – but that's the kind of thing that can happen when you have a player like that. So, for me, it's just got to be – you got you to gotta be aggressive. You got to go after them. Similar to how Argentina actually approached Venezuela. And that's interesting because I think that the best thing for uh, both teams is that. I think Brazil, you want to have control of the game. You're home. You're going against your arch enemy. You want to be the team to control the game. You probably – you have the better midfield. You have the better players who can – take control of the game however if you're argentina maybe they're not planning for it but now you can play on the counter now you can expose some of these older defenders like danny alves and tiago silva and you can hit them on the break and you can say have messi get 1v1 and not being caught between fernandinho and casemiro and making a nice lovely south american sandwich (laughs) uh delicious speaking of sandwiches i guess it would be an i guess it would be an empanada wouldn't it uh yeah empanada would be pretty good to have at this point Uh, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, so uh, we'll move on from that. But that is, of course, going to be probably the game of the week, I think, for a lot, uh, just given the history of those two teams. The other semifinal, Peru versus Chile, the Pacifico, uh, two teams on the well on the Western seaboard, if you didn't know geographically. Uh, both teams who, of course, advanced on penalties after nil nil. This nils. is after, of course, I, Peru had zero shots on target. I do want to point out that Colombia has given up zero goals in this Copa America and, is out. and got eliminated in the quarterfinals. <laughs> that is international soccer for you folks. Yeah, this... That is why Chile is going to score no goals in the entire knockout stage and win it all in penalties. You wanted to talk about like uh, uh, 90 minutes, going straight to penalties after 90 minutes. And, you know, I was like, oh, maybe I would like to see some extra time. But, oh, boy, after seeing that Costa Rica-Mexico extra time, I'm, I'm back to just being totally fine with going to penalties. Oh, man. So here's the thing, right? It's a, it's a summer competition, so there's always kind of that, oh, the players are tired, you know, this is their vacation time that they're missing out on. I do think that penalties after 90 minutes in these competitions is fine. I don't think it lessens the competition at all. It puts it up more to chance. There's not less chance to score in overtime, but it also increases the drama. It does. As much as penalties are unfair, and as much as you don't want to see your team in them losing, penalties are fun to watch. And plus, it, look, it's like, 
30 more minutes when the game was 0-0 for 90. I mean, look, I, I'm all for like, I've always said you, when people are like, I don't like penalties. And I say, well, I, I, I don't really love them either, but there's no better alternative. For me, 0-0, 90 minutes. I mean, it, I was, I'm ready. If I have to hear one more American sports fan who barely watches soccer say, oh, why don't they just start taking off players every Can five minutes? Imagine? An extra time. I'm going to lose it. Eric, you're gonna lose it. You don't even know. I'm gonna lose it. I hate it. those Pen- things. I'm always, I'm always like, do you understand how big a soccer field is? Like, do you, could, like, do you think they're gonna magically shrink the field too? What if we just turn the field into lava? Yeah. What? If- and players just started slowly melting down to their knees. <laughs> all right, all right. We're getting, we're getting too far away from what, what the real purpose of this is. But we're, I'm, I'm gonna wrap this up by just saying that, at this point, that Perucci game is gonna be ugly. I think that I'm agreeing with you. Neither team, I think, is good enough offensively to break down either of the others. Though I think Chile has the edge if we're giving it to any of them in regular time and the edge if it goes to penalties. Of course. However, Peru do have a history of success against Chile recently and were the ones that went to the World Cup ahead of Chile, who also didn't qualify. Ah, good times. Good times. Good. Well, yeah. U.S. didn't make it. Chile didn't make it. Netherlands, Italy. Was that even a real World Cup? I don't Cup? think so. Speaking of the real World Cup, and talk about a transition I just threw out there, the Women's World Cup. As we mentioned, USA onto the semifinal against England. The uh, colonies versus the... The motherland? Uh, the motherland? Isn't that the, the word for Germany? I... Either way, a long-standing rivalry... Red Two coats, days blue coats. short, by the way, of being one of the greatest things ever. England versus USA on the 4th of July. Someone really dropped the ball in scheduling once again. I think someone's going to get fired. And the question I'm going to throw out to you, though, before we talk about the scheduling nonsense that goes on this summer is, do we think England is a better team than no. France? No. Unequivocally. Flat no. out no. Flat out no. Uh, I think that England may... No, not even. Better form? I, I was, oh, they may be in better form. I was actually going to say maybe a better unit, but no, not even that. I can't even say that. Look, France have three, well, okay, three champion, oh, championship, uh, Champions League winners on their back line. They have a Champions League goalkeeper on their back line. They all play together. That's like the, the amount of like amazing things that come from that is like why I was really worried about the U.S. going up against France. And I will say that as tired of a cliche as it is, goals change games, it's true. The U.S. scoring yeah, early in that game helped them immensely because the longer that game went 0-0, the harder it was going to be for the U.S. So they got it early, and that really that changed everything for France. I'm going to throw out probably one of the worst comparisons I can think of okay. to your point about the Champions League players is comparing then Liverpool with Jordan Henderson, James Milner, and I guess Trent Alexander-Arnold all being Champions League winners and playing together and playing for England, I don't think that necessarily makes them... Of course, you mentioned they're all defenders, and that's, I think, much more important. Uh, but, I, I, you know, that's me kind of poking well, a hole in it and being lame. Well, uh, you, I, I think, mean, I think England is a comparison better team. Because, I mean, you have to think of it from the perspective that, while, yes, Liverpool's defense is very good and it working together is great, but it also, you're missing the best defender on that back line, which is Virgil van Dijk, whereas in the case of the French... I think you mean Andy Robertson. Okay, well, fine. It's it's clearly Joel Matip. It's definitely Dejan Lovren who's dealing with injury. I actually think Joe Gomez might be one of the better defenders. Okay, so, but, but so, I but digress. You, but my point being, like, if, you're, if you have the Liverpool defense without Van Dijk, it's not, it's inherently worse 
Whereas the three French players together, one of them is one of them is the Van Dyke of their team. Right. I I'm more afraid of England if if I'm the United States because we've already beaten France one, and this is the one that's in front of us. <laughs> okay, but, fair. All right. If we if we're going like that, but yes. But two. When I watched France, I was only really ever impressed with them against South Korea, which was I a team that I saw was unable to get past half field and so everyone was like oh that wendy renard she's a star she's very good but the fact that they can't get past half field like yeah the u.s will get past half field they're gonna make wendy renard turn and run and play you know facing her own goal how is she gonna deal with it then and it didn't go great so i think england is better set up to play in an open game we saw it against norway uh, a fairly strong team yeah, no. was opening them up left and right, and that's you know good thing, bad thing. They're better playing that way, but they also gave up a lot of chances to Norway. They did. They gave up a lot of chances to Norway, and I think that as good as Norway are, I think the the elephant in the room for them at this point is everyone knows they're missing that player, the the one that the, Ada Hegerberg. the one that's the best that was you know the Ballon d'Or winner, Ada Hegerberg. Yeah. Do you really want me to say her name? Is that why? I want to hear it. I want to hear it come out of your microphone. Can you use it in a sentence, please? <laughs> that Ada Hegeberg is some player. Ada Heckenberg. Well, we'll give it to uh, you. Not right, but we'll give ah, it to whatever. you. Ah, whatever. So, England, um, I think that their forward line might be a little bit more dangerous. Uh, we've seen them being able to get some goals, getting in okay, tight spaces, so getting behind defense. That's fair. I do but, think they have a better attack than France did. But their defense, I would say, is probably weaker, all things considered. I am predicting something like a 2-1, a 3-2. I think this is going to be a real open game. We're going to see goals. We're going to see goals for sure. I'm interested to see how Jill Ellis lines them up. She's come under a lot of fire recently, even for me. Dare I say that I even tweeted about her, interestingly. Oh, man. Yeah, and you know it's bad when I'm tweeting about her. I'm just interested, like, Lindsey Horan coming off the bench, of like, ooh, and then not coming off the bench, like, you know, minute 60 or something. Like, they're waiting till like, minute 80 to make changes in this intense heat. I, I think she does need to do a better job. When, when we're talking about coming into this tournament that the USB team could compete for the World Cup and this is the deepest US roster ever, I don't disagree with the fact that the US roster is very deep. But if it's the deepest roster, then probably should be using a little bit more of it. Yeah, that was always been the criticism is that it might be the deepest roster, but it's not being utilized at all. Uh, the other criticism, Lindsey Horan, potentially the one of the best players on the team, exactly. uh, is not starting, uh, is crazy. I, But when I look at the midfield, I find it difficult to say who you should take out. Uh, Julie Ertz, incredibly important for the team. I think Rose Lavelle, if you don't have her, your midfield loses an entire dimension. Uh, and I think Sam Mewis is a similar enough player to Horan but does some other things where you say, okay, I can see why she would play. Honestly, I might be in, uh, inclined to play some sort of four-man midfield, three in the back, whatever you got to do to get them in. A four-woman midfield. Um, ooh, you're correct. Yeah. I was well, incorrect. Four-woman midfield. People did say they wanted maybe Rapino dropped to try to... to Which is interesting because she scored right. four goals now in two <laughs> exactly, games. Exactly, drop that. And is obviously a leader on the field. Uh, Morgan might be one. She's been struggling with injury. Yeah, but, the, but she's, uh, maybe you play a false yeah, nine. You have to play that. That's too much of a change. I think you have to be careful. You don't. You don't also want to include Haran at the expense of literally like playing a formation that you've never played before. This is definitely not the time to start experimenting now. 
they have played Carly Lloyd as a center forward, and she ends up acting almost a little bit like a false nine. The question is if you think someone like Lavelle or Haran could play that. I don't think that we've seen it, so I don't think that Jill Ellis believes they're capable, and I don't think we will see it. Either I way, the, the winner 11, of you. By the way, I don't. I don't know if anybody else feels that way, but I. I, yeah. I expect her to go back with the same eleven that she's done the last two games. Yeah, I mean the whole why broke why fix what's broken. I think is one of the most ridiculous mindsets to have <laughs> um, when it comes to sports because all, it, you got to play to the opponent. Don't play if it worked against France. Doesn't mean it'll work against England. It's a new opponent. But I digress. The winner of that game will play the winner of Sweden Netherlands, and we could have USA rematch against Sweden. Ah, yes. Revenge for that gold medal game, or not gold? Was it? It wasn't even the gold medal game, was it? Uh, no, it was like the round of sixteen. It'll be double revenge. It'll be like even quadruple better. revenge at that point against Sweden, who's been a thorn in the side of the U.S. for many, many years. The U.S. did win in the group stage two nothing, uh, but as we mentioned earlier, it's tough to beat the same team twice. We're gonna move on because we're running out of time. African Cup of Nations. Ah, Madagascar, baby. Oh yeah, pronunciations galore. Uh, they ended up top. Uh, other teams uh, going through. I think Nigeria was the other one in that group. Uh, there's still uh, group stage games to be played, uh, and that, but um, Egypt, the hosts, also I believe are through. Yeah, they are. They won uh, the group. Interesting tournament. Uh, I think when the round of 16 comes around and we see teams like Guinea-Bissau not playing anymore, it's going to be real competitive. Last tournament. U uh, U21s European Championships. What a tournament that was been! Spain champions. I think they were the strongest team throughout the tournament. Uh, they really dominated every game, even the loss against Italy. Uh, and they ended up beating a strong Germany U21 team. Uh, and I think it's fair to say they deserved it. Yeah. Uh, they, Danny Ceballos, Fabian Ruiz. I mean, this those guys. That was a team of eleven first teamers. Uh, and that's impressive. To and that's see. why the tournament is so fun to watch. By the way, is that these players now more than ever? These under twenty ones are like some of these guys are getting real minutes at their uh, at their club team on the first team. So the level of play, uh, like I said, it was it was like we said when we talked about it. If you hadn't been watching, these were very quality matchups, and the cutthroat nature of the fact that you have three groups and only one second place team ends up to the, through to the semifinal round, like. It made for some very good games. You saw some good talent on display. That's always fun. It kind of serves maybe a purpose that the Tumon tournament sort of used to serve in terms of showcase. This is only Europe, though, so it's showcasing yeah. some of the best youth in Europe. And I, I look, in terms of, like, it stars for the future, you mentioned all the ones for Spain. Yeah, Gianluca Waldschmidt, may, Waldschmidt might be... Uh, might be someone to look out for. He had some. He had a banger of a goal where he just turned and I mean he was like standing oh, flat footed and he absolutely shot. smashed the thing into the corner. Oh man! So yeah. uh, other ones. I mean, Italy had. A, I mean, not Italy and England both had first team elevens basically. Uh, Romania was the big uh, talking point for a while. They have a guy uh, named Puskas the, on it. I know that's not how you. George Puskas, formerly of Inter Milan, as well. He was uh, apparently there's a Romanian academy put up recent uh, that kind of this is their fruit starting to bear and we're going to see Romania returning to the international stage, uh, which will be good to see because the more competitive teams, the Plus better. Imagine all the names. Remember Gabriel like Torres, Romanian Messi. Uh, ooh, the more Romanians, the better. And honestly, as whenever the level of soccer is getting better, it's good because we, the fans, are the ones who see the best. I do want to point out how ridiculous it is that Italy had six points. I think 
who was the other team in that group? Poland had six points, uh, and none of them went through in their Them's group. the breaks. I think winning two out of three games is one of them is ridiculous. Yeah, so but Spain, it did make Italy, and an, Poland all had six points. <laughs> it did make a very, very interesting uh, games because teams knew they had to win and they had to get goals. Yep. Moving on, last bit. 